0: This episode is brought to you by Bear Tower Pet Sitters. Who's watching your fur baby while you're at work? When leaving the television on all day isn't enough for your cuddly bear, you can drop Mr. Biscuits off at Bear Tower Pet Sitters and feel confident that he's being watched over by highly trained professionals who have devoted their lives to the care and tending of your little angel. Some people claim to be married to their work. At Bear Tower Pet Sitters, they mean it. The Bear Tower has a full day of engaging activities to keep your fuzzy lumpkins entertained. Go to their website and enter "reread one word, for a free entire day of Roman-style bread and circus for your Whittle Wobbles. And thank you, Bear Tower Pet Sitters, for sponsoring the Rereading Wolf podcast.
1: Warning. The following discussion is deliberately riddled with spoilers and unhinged speculation on this nearly 40 year old book, Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. You can't read a Gene Wolfe story, you can only reread a Gene Wolfe story.
0: Welcome to Rereading Wolfe. We'll abandon the literary artifice that this is the first time you and we've read these books. We're going to try to understand, and that means considering the books as a whole.
1: Hi, I'm James Wynn.
0: And I'm Craig Brewer.
1: Yeah, I guess we didn't do too
0: bad last week. We didn't really get anything wrong wrong, apparently.
1: No, we're perfect. We're perfect.
0: (laughs) Just like someone's memory. No (laughs) questions, no possible possible errors at
1: all. Yes, that's right. Our errors aren't perfect. They're just vivid. So. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, but we did have a lot of good conversations started on Facebook. So one thing I would say is that if you're not on Facebook, please take a look over there. That seems to be where most of the discussions about the shows have happened so far. A um, couple little bits on Twitter here and there, but but a lot of stuff on Facebook. So yep. really appreciate everyone who jumps in and talks on there. Uh, but yeah, we had a, a three or four people who really started some some good topics.
1: Yeah. Nigel Price chimed in on the question of whether the autark face is a woman or not, and pointed out that often in Roman coins, the uh, Caesars do look like women. He offered an example of a Julius Caesar coin, which looks more like his wife. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And it really does. It's when I first glanced at it, it could easily be a woman. And and so I certainly get why he would consider it to be androgynous if that's what he's modeling it on. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing he did note too, was that it is possible that there were female autarchs. I don't know that we ever get one particularly
1: that's named. Do we? I'm not sure. No, no, we don't. We don't. Well, we do know that there have been female autarchs when in Citadel Autarch when uh, Severian is... And now the autark is is walking along the coast. He feels like he's in an army of the former Autarchs that are walking along with him. And he mentions that some of them are women mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. of That's them right. are children. So,
0: but take a look in, on Facebook. That coin is really interesting. And the discussion that followed after it was also pretty thoughtful, all yeah. different ways. Another one that came up was someone questioning not so much a correction, but more just it opened up a good question about whether the torturers do gather information from
1: That was Ian C. Smith, right?
0: hmm Yeah. And he said that he had always assumed that that the phrase like, you know, putting someone to the question was just the traditional sort of euphemism for torture and that could well be uh certainly you know thecla is never questioned uh, but we know that severian says that when they come for there will be an examiner Mm -hmm. Uh, there's also that fulgurator like you had said that you you think that's more about you know someone who cranks the (laughs) cranks (laughs) the engine for the lightning i just liked it because it was someone who read the future from lightning yeah maybe it's a fortune teller or something that that you know that's a way to get information but anyway but all that to the side
1: if if it if, if Okay, well, to just push back on on Ian's point a little bit. Assuming that they're using some sort of electronic device to torture to to extract information, a fulgurator, uh, getting something from that uh, lightning that he's generating. Uh, Does kind of lean toward the idea that they are trying to get some kind of information, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, he makes a good point about the the history of the term put to the question doesn't necessarily mean that they're being put to any actual
0: question. That's true. I think what made me wonder was the way they talk about the maidservant, the woman that they see who's Mm -hmm. gotten the half boot. Was it seemed like they wanted to keep her awake, and certainly. If someone's asleep, they're not going to feel pain, or if they passed right. out. But I also wondered if they were trying to get something from her, and that was why they needed her to be awake during yeah. this. Not, not sure. It's never exactly clear there, but it just did seem um, like there were suggestions that maybe that does happen. Even though, like yeah. Palman says, um, you shouldn't be listening. You're yeah. supposed to be as you know dumb as a mouse.
1: Doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, what is she? What would if assuming that she's there for some reason? What is she being? if she's not being questioned, what is she being tortured for?
0: Punishment. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know. Let, I don't letting, letting, know. Her, letting
1: her, letting your mistress get away. I don't know.
0: Could be. Yeah. And the one other thing I know you had mentioned was that you said that the name of the guild, of course, is the seekers after truth and penitence. Mm-hmm. And that could. Yeah. After seeking after truth would certainly, certainly
1: do it. So right, Exactly. But, you know, it, you know, Ian pointed, said that in his opinion, he thought that the truth they were seeking was merely their acknowledgement of their, you know, wrong and their guilt. Okay. That's, that's consistent. Yeah.
0: So another one or uh, from Steven Frug who he actually mentioned a few things, but I think the one that stood out to us was the point that the last sentence of the chapter could actually be seen as an affirmation of his memory rather than worrying that he'd gotten something wrong about the coin. So the last sentence is where he says he looks at the coin and realized that it wasn't Vodalus's face. Yeah. And I think the way he was reading it was that this is kind of proof that, oh, you know, I am not going crazy because I know it's just a regular coin and right. it was yeah. just Vodalus's face. It wasn't Vodalus's
1: face the way I was afraid it would be or something, Right. but right. yeah, okay. Yeah, and Again, I think
0: we had just been working on the assumption that he had thought it was a special coin and that therefore it would, you know, possibly have Vodalus's face on it in, in order to be a real symbol of him joining the resistance or something.
1: Well, like I think we came up with like four different possibilities of, of mm-hmm. it, that it could mean, and mm-hmm. this is just one more, so –
0: Yeah. But it's a a really good point then. And I actually, to be honest, I really like that reading that at the end, it's sort of a way of affirming that he's not going crazy and that he kind of checked himself and he's like, no, it's, you know, even though I had these worries, I did double check and, and no, I'm actually okay. So that, that seems a little bit more, maybe Severian like (laughs) in the (laughs) end. Um, Yeah. But I like that he had some other points too um, uh, about, you know, how Severian might be, Uh, why would he be worried that the coin would stick him with Vodalus? I think that's when he thinks that the coin is somehow, specially marked as belonging to votalists. And that's why he's afraid to have it with him because he thinks then it would be a symbol to everyone else or a sign that he,
1: he belongs to certainly something he would have to explain Mm -hmm. why he has such a valuable coin in his pocket or one that he Mm -hmm. believes to be valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ian C Smith also, uh, added some things about uh, Severian's memory that he, during, when he goes to the mausoleum, he had said, the memory of my visit to the mausoleum remained vivid enough to dissuade me from making another. So, which, which, I mean, he points out that maybe Severian is acknowledging that in some cases his memory does fade or at least change in quality. It could be. Yeah.
0: So, so like suggesting that because it was vivid, that there are other memories that weren't as vivid. That, um, that yeah, would be that, an
1: implication, right? Yeah, or, it could
0: could be. Or it could be a way of just stating, you know, restating his memory that sometimes because yeah. I know things so well, I don't have to
1: revisit. Exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So, but yeah, it's a certain, it's definitely, you know, when you get down to how things are exactly phrased and what's implied and what's not, yeah, it, it sometimes gets tricky with that. I still feel like everything he talks about later about how vivid his memory is, uh, You know, especially I mean, the thing that really kicks it for me is in Claw when he talks about how sometimes he gets so wrapped up in his memory that he just loses himself, doesn't even realize when Voteless's goons are coming in to get him. He talks about how it takes him 30 seconds to a minute to even realize that somebody else was in the room with him. Yeah. Um, You know, that that kind of to me talks about really how vivid and overwhelming his memory is and how he Mm -hmm. really gets kind of wrapped up in it. So, um, yeah, that that part seems to me. Stronger, but it's a it's a good point. It's an interesting way to, to read that sentence.
1: Yeah, at some point Absolutely. we need to deconstruct exactly what we know about his memory and what we don't.
0: We'll get there. Yeah. I have a feeling maybe one time you'll make a list. Of <laughs> that we know. Maybe I'm prescient. Maybe maybe I have some presentiment of the future. I think you've been
1: wandering around in the corridors of time. So. <laughs>
0: Well, good. Well, thank you guys. Please take a look at all the social media again, especially Facebook. Like we said, people are are having pretty good conversations there. And there's a little bit, you know, we have a, a subreddit and we do have the Twitter account as well. You can always also just email us rereadingwolf at gmail.com and we'll talk about your ideas. Excellent. So for now though, we're going to talk about a puppy.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Severian <laughs> and his dog. <laughs> Chapter four. Triskele? Triskele? Triskele. 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 Should we look that up? I did look it up.
0: There are different ways. The most common way is much closer to triskele or triskele.
1: Triskel, not that the E is silent.
0: Right, Yep. Yeah, that seems to be the way. Um, now, there are other versions that you can find that, say, like Triskely or things like that. The most common thing is that the tri is, you could have a long I there most of the time. The reason I like that is it does really emphasize the three with the yeah, tri. Um, right. In my head, it'll probably always be Triskel, though, because that's just how I... Always heard it.
1: (laughs) That that would have been like the last way I pronounced it, although it might be.
0: (laughs) The one thing I liked on Wikipedia, it did have uh, what I think is from Brittany. It says where it's known as the Truskele.
1: Truskele. As a technical writer, I can tell you that it doesn't matter what word you use to describe anything as long as you use the same word every time and you aren't calling something else the same thing. So how shall we pronounce this for now?
0: I'll defer to you because you said that the way I pronounce it is sort of the last way that you would
1: think to pronounce <laughs> well, it. Well, I would so really be right. After talking about all this, I, I think I'm pretty wrong, but actually. I've always pronounced it Triscally. And Triscoll. I'm almost certain that that's wrong after discussing this. Um, well,
0: mine, I, I told you, is just Triscale. That's the way Tris- I always do
1: it. All right. Let's we'll call it Triskel. Triskel. We'll just say Triscale. Um, well, I'm it-
0: pretty sure that's wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, maybe it should be triskele. Triskele.
0: Triskele. And I don't. I no longer have access to the OED. I oh, so wish I did.
1: Oh, how could that? Wait, but you're an academic. You should have, like a. Uh,
0: it's a. It's a. Uh, it's a. It's a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> if I. Yeah. But I. I don't have home access to it anymore for, uh, stupid reasons.
1: Let's say triskele. Triskele. Triskele.
0: Let's go with triskele.
1: Triskeel, you know, the thing about try the tr- hard try is might be make a lot of sense, but it's just it it just doesn't sound like a dog's name. It doesn't sound like any yeah. kind of a name.
0: Yeah. For me that's the thing. All so right. I know it's an actual symbol on its own, but it's to me it's the dog's yeah. name. All so-
1: right. <laughs> Chapter four Triskeel. For starters, a Triskeel is a kind of whirl. And obviously, Gene Wolf has a fascination with whorls. The, the ship in the Book of the Long Sun is called the Whorl. Whorls are an ancient motif that theoretically represent many different things to many different people, but they're as ancient as they're more ancient than history. Going back at least 6,000 years, 12,000 years, a swastika is a is a kind of whorl uh so is its opposite a salvastica a a gamadian uh silk carried around a gamadian that's that's also a whorl but a triskeel is essentially a triangle with circular spikes on each end
0: yeah or even spiral spikes I right or spikes that are spiraled in on themselves
1: whirls can represent the sun or the spinning stars in the night sky. Trisciels were retconned to represent the Trinity in Ireland. Severian is going to name his three-legged dog, Trisciel. So the chapter starts here with Severian trying to unclog a frozen sewer drain. It's a punishment
0: for some petty infraction. Yeah, he never he never tells us what he did here.
1: So yeah, this must be the same winter that where we left uh, Severian last chapter. He's found a dog on a refuse pile where the Bear Tower dumps its animals that die in training. He mentions here that the Torturers Guild buries their dead by the curtain wall, and the dead clients in the Potter's Field section of the Acropolis. He includes this section that is full of foreshadowing there are encounters that change nothing earth turns her aged face to the sun and beams upon her snows they scintillate and coruscate until each little point of ice hanging from the swelling sides of the tower seem the claw of the conciliator the most precious of gems then everyone except the wisest believe that the snow must melt and give way to protracted summer beyond summer. Nothing of the sort occurs. The paradise endures for a watch or two. Then shadows blue as watered milk lengthen on the snow, which lift and dances under the spur of an east wind. Night comes, and all is as it was.
0: So he's almost saying that, you know, this chapter is not going to change anything but he is you know waxing philosophical here about you know how you think that these really fun moments will will really mean something wonderful and then in the end they are passing they're fleeting they're temporary
1: in Um, the world of tv this is what we call a bottle episode it's not part (laughs) of the arc it's just here it's self-contained for this moment alone
0: when he's giving us this section, this is also when he mentions the claw for the first time. Yeah. That we get the claw of the conciliator here, the most precious of gems. There's a little bit of irony in there because, of course, the for the vast majority of this book, Severian's gonna think that the claw is this vast most important thing that's giving him powers, that is, you know, setting him on a new path in many ways. And at a certain point, he's gonna realize it was just a thing, a symbol. And in other words, the claw is kind of something that you think is going to be super important, but eventually Severian kind of moves beyond it for various re- important reasons. But I think it's just kind of cool that that's where we first get the claw in the middle of this section, which we're thinking is supposed to be about uh, Triskel. Oh, shoot. I already pronounced <laughs> it the wrong way. But what we think is going to be about Triskel. No,
1: no, no. How do no, we just no, say Triscale, we we're going do- Triskel. Yeah, you're Triscale. right. You're right. Triskel. Okay. 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 Good, good.
0: But... Yeah. So but it could actually mean, you know, I think in the larger book, it's really I think he's talking about the claw because that as as we said, as it becomes so much more important that it's it wasn't the claw itself that was giving him powers. It was more something about Severian. And he also starts to move beyond the sort of, you know, magical belief into something deeper and more complicated. Um, I don't think you're supposed to get that out of this point, but I just think that's really cool that it happens we probably need to go back actually to something even before then there's a sentence that comes at the very end of the very first paragraph, which is immediately kind of forgotten um, because you all of a sudden get into this long aside, but it's the sentence. He was the smallest of those dead. Oh yeah. And that's one of those things that I think people often miss the first time around after he puts his hand on Triscoll's head, he starts reacting to him, but it's, Wolf is straight up telling us in the beginning, Triskel was dead.
1: Right. But he doesn't, he, he looks as dead. He doesn't really say that he was dead. It's possible for, I think, for a reader to read this and say, oh, well, he just thought he was dead. But
0: but technically the grammar of the sentence, he was the smallest of those dead. Yeah. The, the sentence itself says that he was the smallest of the dead ones.
1: Well, I think any, anyone who has gotten used to reading Wolf would surely say, oh, no, he was he was dead. <laughs> even if it, yeah, even if yeah. this was the first time you were reading it and right. you didn't know how it was going to turn out that this dog could possibly have been dead, you would know that some, there's something up here and you should keep your eye out. Right.
0: And it's even more confusing because later on he does say, he seemed as dead as the rest, but he opened one eye and then rolled it at me. Oh. <laughs> So even there, Severian is saying, you know, he seemed like he was just as dead. Uh, But the language itself says that he was dead at the beginning. Also, just to sort of push on this again, that further emphasizes how sort of unimportant the claw eventually is. Mm. uh, Because this is a moment when Severian, if he in fact is resurrecting the dog, does it without
1: the claw. He has a long analysis at the end of Citadel of the Autark where he tries to figure out, how the claw could have worked or how it didn't, how it was really him. But um, I'm not sure that any of them are satisfactory, but mm-hmm. the fact is, yeah, I think it's clear that he is resurrecting people, uh, resurrecting things long before he comes across a claw. Do you think that Trisco? That... I, uh, yeah. I, do I think he was dead? Yes. I think he he was dead. Surely he was dead. I think we have so many hints, so many scenes like this later that I have to take my understanding of Wolfe's style from multitude of other stories. And drawing from that, I say, yes, the dog was dead. Severian describes his look when he rolls his eyes up at him. He says, there was a confidence in it that the worst was over now. I have carried my part, it seemed to say, and borne up and done all I could do. Now it is your turn to do your duty by me.
0: Which is a, a sentence that's kind of projecting quite a lot <laughs> onto <laughs> onto the dog there. Um, but one thing I want to know, and this goes back to where they say that the dogs were, you know, where the where the keepers of the bear tower leave their dead. And so we don't really know much at all about the bear tower, other than that's where the animal trainers are. We don't know at this point, you know, what has this dog been through to end up on this pile? Is this where they, you know, throw out the fighting animals like was he a trained fighting dog uh was this where they're throwing out you know unused i don't know carcasses of (laughs) of food for other animals um but i've always thought you know because we also find out that the kind of dog that he actually is 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 probably a pretty big muscular thing. I mean, this isn't a puppy right. that what he's seen there, what this dog has been through, may be actually quite terrible. You know, he certainly lost one leg, uh, and Severian, as we'll find out in a second, is going to have to do a lot of work to heal him. So this dog has been through a ton of stuff. And I think one question then about the bear tower is, you know, what are these other towers doing that might. Be just as monstrous as the torturers, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, maybe not to humans, but to animals.
1: Well, Severian so says that if it had been summer, he wouldn't have. He would have just let him die. But it was winter, and he hadn't seen any animals in a while. Not even quote, not even a garbage eating thylacodon. A thylacodon is essentially a Cretaceous era possum. A Possum. <laughs> yeah. Alas, the dog. I had forgotten that it was a possum, yeah. Yeah, which is. Sort of... So alas, the, the dog did lick his hand and he says, I could not turn away after that. But what to do about the dog? Apparently, the tower had a no pets policy. So he sneaked into <laughs> one of the examination rooms and put the dog on the table. He offers to take a journeyman's place, guarding the door to the oubliette. And the journeyman gladly agrees. He takes the carnificial sword of the journeyman that he's not allowed to touch. And he puts on the foliage and cloak that he's not allowed to wear. When the guard is gone, he carries the dog down to the fourth level that is not used beyond the third level where the clients have all gone crazy and now just howl all day. He goes through a lot of explanation for why the other journeyman didn't pay him any mind, but it, he sums it up with, it was not a prepossessing place.
0: Even though he starts this part off saying that he was being punished for something. So talks a lot about all the ways that they break the rules of the guild, right? I mean, it starts off with them, you know, they're out too late and they're going to get in trouble if they get back. Um, and then uh, he's, you know, uh, already going up and down the stairs when he's not supposed to, he's borrowing the cloak of a, of a journeyman and the mask, even though we find out those are really super important symbols later on of, of, you know, moving to the next stage. So, you know, on the one hand, it seems a lot like, oh, a young boy trying to keep his, you know, a new dog that he would found um, secret. Uh, but it's also really showing that things around the tower are really lax.
1: Also, that the rules of the tower are not made for human beings. Nobody keeps all the rules. Mm. And it's, it's clear I, from Severian's experience that people aren't necessarily expected to although they are expected to get pretty harsh punishments if they break the rules. So Severian puts the dog in a cell and starts to clean him. His his tail and ears have been cropped, as you do with fighting dogs. In his last fight, the skin had been flayed away from the muscles, and his right front leg is gone, just crushed to a pulp. He sutures his chest and amputated what was left of the leg, The torturers had been trained in this sort of medical aid as part of their jobs. I should mention that at no point has Severian referred to Triscale as a dog at this point, but this is obviously a boy and his dog story. He says his jaws were as big as an arctother's, a prehistoric bear. His canine teeth were as big as Severian's index finger. And Severian says he was taller than most of the, that Severian says that he himself was taller than most of the journeymen. His gums were white. His eyes were yellow. Severian says they held a certain clean madness. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Later, in Citadel of the Autark, when we see a, a recreation of Triscale from Severian's memory, they mentioned that, uh, he has yellow fur. So I guess he's like some sort of monster golden retriever or something. He's old yeller. (laughs) I think you're right. That's a good point.
0: Um, yeah, that clean madness. I always felt like that line sticks with me and and the, the one thing that always got me, the, the idea of a clean madness rather than sort of a violent madness, just because we see different people go crazy in different ways. And mm-hmm. I, I've always wondered, is this him trying to say, you know, the animal is even when they're violent, they're sort of a purity of their, their crazy violence mm-hmm. rather than the human, which is always you know fraught and conflicted and things like that. Yeah. And then also just about the size of him, because when he says that he first picks him up, he said he was heavier than he looked. And I can remember my uncle actually raises uh, American Terriers, which are almost like pit bulls, but they're not quite, but they're really small dogs, but they are so muscular that they weigh like twice what you'd expect. And the first mm. time I picked one up. It was amazing. Like that's when you get terrified when you realize like how thick and dense this dog actually (laughs) is. Um, But that's what I always thought about here of just a creature that may look a little smaller, but which has in it just incredible power.
1: He says, Severian says that his mouth was so wide, it appeared that his head might fall off in two halves.
0: That always makes me think of these crazy, like like a puppet, like a Muppet, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a thing that has such a massive mouth and that is as big as a bear, you know. And so that's the only real animal, I think. Is that the only animal that he's actually compared to at this point? Actually, more like a the Arctother, but with, who is a bear rather than a dog.
1: He just says that his jaws are as big as a bear. He doesn't really compare it. He does later okay. on actually refer to him as a dog. But right. he's not... Probably not a dog that you would recognize. You know, did you ever see this really awful Stephen King miniseries called The Langoliers? No, no. I know it. It was really, it. it was it's very typical of Stephen King miniseries in the 80s in that you have a really interesting first episode and a so-so uh, second episode. And then, then you're going to watch the third episode during that same week. And it's just awful. And this is almost quintessential for that format. I'm not going to go into it, describe anything about it, except that when the Langoliers, who we've heard about all the time through this miniseries, finally show up, there are these big fur balls that are nothing but teeth that eat and devour. And that's kind of the situation I see uh, Triscale hmm. being. He's, he's been bred to be nothing but vicious teeth. Because the more body you have, the more potential that something could get a hold of it. Yeah. So all you want are jaws and and teeth.
0: That makes sense, actually, with with what we can guess about what the bear power is trying to train these creatures to do. Perhaps, yeah. We should probably also mention this is actually the first time where we get the word fuligen in the middle of him describing how he uh, snuck Triskel down there over and over, that that's where he first, uh, he first describes Fullogen. He says that, uh, all our guild cloaks are voluminous. This one was more so since the brother I'd replaced was larger frame. Furthermore, the hue Fullogen, which is darker than black, admirably erases all folds, bunchings, and gatherings so far as the eye is concerned, showing only a featureless black. And I think it's fun that this huge symbol that is so important to him and strikes fear in other people's minds is actually introduced to us, in him doing basically kind of silly thing right he's silly on two levels he's both breaking the rules of his of of the guild but he's also you know taking care of a dog that he that he found and I just thought that was an interesting contrast because every other time it comes up especially in the first few chapters after he's kicked out it's always like why are you wearing that that's a terrifying cloak you know you're gonna Mm -hmm. cause fear in everyone to do it or to wear it But here, when we first get it, it, it's certainly not a joke, but it's definitely sort of with lighter purposes. The only other thing about that that I mentioned was that he says, too, that if anybody looked, they would see a slightly larger than they thought guy like journeyman going up and down the stairs. Mm -hmm. But then we find out, right, that there are only like 20 journeymen. And I'm always (laughs) wondering, like, how would they actually fool anyone with that? But I don't know.
1: Well, if you can't see his face, I guess he puts on a mask and you don't know who you're paying attention. but literally you would have to have seen a german and said oh well that's so-and-so that's so-and-so that's so-and-so yeah and you would have wondered if you couldn't recognize them but he says you know no one's really paying attention to anyone doing going about their jobs it's like he said it's a lot goes on there and no one pays any mind they have to take care of the prisoners down there but no one's actually doing any quality assurance testing or anything like that so right so that night He switched jobs with the kid who was supposed to take food to the clients. There's always some client that won't eat. So he had two meals left when he was done. He went down to the fourth level, Triscale's room, wondering if he'd still be alive. And he'd gotten out of bed and dragged himself to a part of the room where some water had collected. So... Severian hand-feeds him the food. He's so weak he can't chew. Severian soaks the bread in soup before he gives it to him. That night, in his cot, at one of the highest floors of the tower, Severian was sure he could hear Triscale's labored breathing. He'd sit up and, and listen, and then there'd be no sound. And then he'd lay down, and he could hear it again. He says, well, perhaps it was only the beating of my own heart. Well, who knows? Are we supposed to believe that that's his imagination or that this is something of the power of the new sun that is exhibiting itself? So.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, especially because when he keeps describing in that that paragraph, he starts talking about how, um, if he had done this before he would have shared it with everyone else. Mm -hmm. And now he wanted to kind of keep it all for himself. And in fact, later on, there's a part where he, he seems amazed that the dog was actually dependent on him. Um, and you know, he says he was dependent on me, me, and he puts me with an Uh. exclamation mark, which is sort of a, that's one of the few times that Severian does something like that. You know, we're reading it this time. I listen to that and I don't, I feel like that's less, uh, Something that he's actually hearing, um, and I, I get the sense that it's more about him sort of just really being afraid he's going to get caught, and you know, especially it's like since the Telltale Heart. Yeah, yeah, because he's sort of talking here about how this is the first time he really tried to keep a secret from anyone. Um, it was the first time that he tra- he didn't you know share something like this with his friends, and then he has the weird thing I think where he he talks about how this was all about being a man from a boy,
1: which I is an odd. Part. yeah let me read yeah, that let me yeah. read that part. it says if i had found him a year two years before he would have been a divinity to me i would have told draught and the rest he would have been a divinity to us all now i knew him for the poor animal he was and yet i could not let him die because it would have been a breaking of faith with something in myself i could not endure to think that I had become a man so different from the boy I had been. I could remember each moment of my past, every vagrant thought and sight, every dream. How could I destroy that past? In a dream, I walked through the fourth level again and found a huge friend there with dripping jaws. It spoke to me.
0: Yeah, what do you make of that one? (laughs) No, I have some ideas, but I'm curious.
1: I feel, well, I, I, The more I go over this chapter, the more I feel that Wolf is not being clever with us here when Severian says that this is going to be a bottle episode. This is an old uh, Yeller story. This is the kind of story Wolf really seems to enjoy telling a a story. I think he would have really enjoyed being able to write young adult fiction. I remember Wolf in a panel once, talking about his admiration for Neil Gaiman's graveyard book that he said that in order to get a book into a child's hands, you must first get through the school librarian Hmm. and all of the other, and, and, and all of the other adults that stand between you and that child. And that Neil Gaiman had written a book in which a child has his entire family murdered. It starts with a child having his entire family murdered by a serial killer. And somehow that not only got into the hands of children, but won awards. And he said that, based on that, he said that Neil Gaiman was a genius. And I, I remember that The Wizard Knight was marketed as a young adult fiction and when I read it, I said, this is not young adult fiction. And I, so I think he would have loved to be able to write young adult fiction, but he could never quite not move into those darker areas. And so this is the little short story, and it's a, it's a young adult fiction. It's a young adult story. It's a boy and his dog story. And so I think that this is all about how much this dog means to Severian. It... Where he, Wolf just lets all his sentimentality go, and he he has a dream, and he there he finds a friend, and it speaks to him. I don't think that there's some spe- secret speech that the that Triscale gives to Severian that matters in the rest of the story. I think the point is that he dreamed that he had a friend and he spoke to him.
0: I got to admit, I go a different direction with this part. Uh Aha. Because as I'm looking at it now, I mean, the one thing that stands out is he says that, you know, a long time ago, we would have just been overjoyed that we had a dog. Um, But he says, now I knew him for the poor animal that he was, and I couldn't let him die because it would have been a breaking of faith with something in myself. That part seems to me different because I think he he probably started this off with oh here's a dog I'm going to I'm going to save it. But all of a sudden it started to change and what I think is going on here especially when he starts talking about the difference between a boy and now I'm I'm a man whether or not he really is at this point is that now he's actually responsible for something for one of the first times that before this, he was, you know, being a member of a guild and just being an apprentice, there was never anything he he had to follow rules, but he's never really responsible for something. Now though, that there's this creature down there that he's saved from death once and done a whole lot of work on it. That may not be pleasant for the dog, but you know, he's either making it suffer more Or he's going to help it come back to life. And I kind of read this as though those, you know, each time he thought um, that he could hear his breathing, it's more like he's terrified that he's going to die. He's worried that he's done a bad job. And eventually all this stuff is really settling into him as, you know, oh, I can't just be carefree really like I could before. So then when I hear that dream again, it's kind of to me, the dream is a friend. You know, I found a huge friend. But it's there with dripping jaws, right? You know, like there's something good about that. um, But then also this thing is dangerous and terrifying. When he then says it spoke to me, it's almost like, you know, it's no longer me just sort of saying what I think. But this other thing is, you know, talking to me like another person or another something. But that's sort of that responsibility coming down again. So to me, that's this part seems less carefree and more sort of like Severian not wanting to grow up (laughs) almost as if saying like, I realize I just did something that I have to stick with um, and really make sure that the dog survives. And if it doesn't, you know, which is why I'm so terrified that I can, I can't hear it breathing. um, Then it's kind of my fault now.
1: Well, it's interesting that you've kind of described it as this is the story of Severian's first experience as a father.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But at the same time, he's, he does it, because he knows it is what his that his himself as a child would have wanted him to do it's he would he's be, being the man that his that the child Severian would have respected severian goes down the next morning to feed him he sort of hopes he's dead but he's not he's smiling at him the way dogs do he's called this is the first time he calls him a dog and he's still weak and can't stand up so Severin goes to the Bear Tower and strikes up a friendship with the princesses there. He's got to get some advice on taking care of this thing that's depending on him. He finds out that, although they have a lot of strange lore and traditions, it's surprising how similar it is to his own. When they become masters, they stand under a grate while a bleeding bull walks across it. At some point, the journeymen have to marry a lioness or female bear, and from that point, on they swear off human women i got you got to stay true to the (laughs) missus yeah that's
0: a that's a strange one i mean talking about um you know ways that these guilds and part of this society now have sort of totally gone off the rails (laughs) you know that's (laughs) that that's part of i mean it could be that but um i also think that again sort of how siloed and how separate these each of these little gills are from both each other but also the rest of the world outside of even the citadel um Hmm. because that's definitely a way of life that we never see repeated anywhere else there's something notice here too this is also the the bears have come up a bunch of times Mm -hmm. in this chapter and that's one thing this is another where they could marry either a lioness or a bear sow and so we've had the arctoddlers before with with how uh truscala might might be kind of like a bear but i'll Mm -hmm. say something about that a little later um, right. But there's just a preview.
1: <laughs> but uh, so Severian says that this shows that the animal handlers have a connection with the beasts that they take to the fighting pits that is similar to the one the torturers have with their clients. He says, Now I've traveled much farther from our tower, but I have found always the pattern of our guild is repeated mindlessly in the societies of every trade, like the repetitions of Father Inire's mirrors in the house of absolute so that they are all torturers just as we his quarry stands to the hunters as our clients to us those who buy to the tradesmen the enemies of the commonwealth to the soldier the governed to the governors men to women all love that which they destroy
0: it's a heavy thing <laughs> right <laughs> to say like everything repeats the the i the you know, how the, the torturers go. What's interesting though, is that it also adds a different dimension to the torturers than we'd think of. Certainly they're in the business of destroying things, but it's the first time that he even mentions something weird. Like we actually love our clients. Mm. Um, and you know, we've talked before about how there's sort of this, this apparent professionalism where they try to stay, you know, really separated from the people and Severian gets in trouble for even listening to what they say. Um, but this comparison to say that everything loves what it destroys um, goes way beyond sort of anything that he's described before. I really don't know what to say about this one. <laughs> um, but well, it stands out as one of those weird sections to me where he's he's philosophizing again mm-hmm. um, and sort of making grand statements. But in this case, this one has always mystified me a little bit because it just seems like a weird way to describe anything that he's just described—that <laughs> you love what you destroy. I mean, even the things that he says. You know, I get the how the hunter destroys the the quarry. I get that. Uh, but those who buy to the tradesman—that the that a tradesman tries to destroy the people who buy stuff for him. That the the uh, the soldier. I get how he, you know, destroys his enemies. But then the govern to the governors and men to women. I mean, when you get to that point, and it's all about they love that which they destroy, that means that Severian's got a really sort of harsh view of the world right here.
1: It's a very dark, all of these,
0: dark world. All of these basic relationships are um, ultimately about destroying things and finding you know some weird love with them. And... Um,
1: the writing here is beautiful. And there are passages in this novel that you can take and apply in many ways this is beautiful and i'm not certain that you can really apply it to anything else in your life it might be true but it doesn't bear saying so it does what good can it possibly do just to say that uh that the relationship of men to women is like that of a torturer to his clients. No, no value at all. Even if you could, you can argue that there's some, there's some element of of truth there. It's it there's it's it's totally useless information in real life. But it still is is quite beautiful and it's it crystallizes a perspective that comes from being raised in a tower where the most important work is torturing people. When one says to of a criminal, "Will they deserve their fate?" to to the torturers, they might say the same thing, but they would say it with a different tonality. Yet they deserve their fate. Like you, you just des- they deserve their rights or they deserve their your breakfast. Yeah, their fate is st- is theirs, even as grisly and horrific as it is. And it's the torturer's job to ensure that they get it.
0: Well, this is one where I think for the first time I would definitely ask if you're listening and have a better idea than I have (laughs) (laughs) about what's going on in this passage and what Severian's actually trying to say. I would really like to hear it because this is one that I'm just, it's one that I got to admit has mystified me on how it works just in the chapter, in everything else that he's talking about. I mean... I know that there's a whole lot of discussion about how later on earth of the new sun is all about how every evil can still be turned to good. Every bit of destruction or every sort of renewal requires some destruction. And I can see echoes of that here, but this one just, it doesn't really fit that pattern to mm-hmm. me um, in, in only, only in the largest of analogies. So, yeah. So this is one place where I'd say if anyone has a good idea,
1: let us know. Okay. So here comes something interesting. We get a turn. In the story, after a week, Severian goes down to feed uh, Triskele, but he's gone. Well, he couldn't have gone up to it or gone up the to the top of the oubliette, or else a a would have seen him. He follows his tracks until he comes to a labyrinth of corridors that Severian didn't know existed. Severian reverts to the present tense. Remember, he's autark now. He has the memories of Thecla and all the Autarchs. He says, I have no way of knowing how old those tunnels are. I suspect, though, I can hardly say why, that they antedate the citadel above them. Ancient though it is. It comes to us from the very end of the age when the urge to flight, the outward urge that sought new suns, not ours, remained. Though the means to achieve that flight were sinking like dying fires. Remote as that time is, from which hardly one name is recalled, we still remember it. Before it, there must have been another time, a time of burrowing, of creation of dark galleries. That is now utterly forgotten. So, Severian supposes that these tunnels date back before the last age that is almost forgotten. In the current age, for whatever reason, Earth's humanity has abandoned any interest and then the ability for interstellar flight. The last age, only barely remembered, only the memory of the age itself remains, was when the desire on Earth to explore the galaxy still existed, but they were quickly losing the technology and affluence to do so. Before that, there was another age that he can only theorize about. It was a time. When cutting-edge exploration was not for interstellar travel, it involved the digging of these tunnels.
0: Yeah, which is weird. It's sort of, you have both of these sort of urges to get away, right? You wanna <laughs> you wanna go up to the sky, or you wanna dig so far down into the into the earth, or into the into the earth that you're away from the regular life up there. That's what what strikes me about this is just both of them are kind of a a, a way of Running away from whatever the regular world is, um, either escaping to the stars, or if you can't do that, you can in, at least go face this other unknown inside.
1: Severian doesn't say so, but maybe the reason the Citadel exists in the first place is because it was connected to these tunnels. Severian is really scared. He's apparently not following Ultrascale's tracks anymore. He's running blindly, bumping into walls. But by chance, he sees sunlight coming through a hole. The hole is small, barely wide enough for his head and shoulders to get through. He's coming out of the base of an ice-covered pedestal. The pedestal, as Severian describes it, holds a multifaceted clock with each face showing a different time. The clock pedestal is in the center of what in summer was a manicured garden. Around the four walls are animal statues, arctothers, ancient bears, of course, Sm- uh, smilodons, uh, saber-toothed tigers, but they aren't closely related to any modern cats, berylambdas, an extinct species thought to be related to modern tapirs, and glyptodons, an extinct armadillo type of creature. These are the animal Severian names, but who knows if that's all. It might be a whole zodiac of animals.
0: One other thing just about the the details, the four animals or the four statues that are there. On Olten's library, there's um, an essay specifically about those by uh, Michael Andre Drusey um, and talks about... How he thinks actually that this is another place where we see basically lions and bears sort of placed in opposition to each other. And he uses this as one of the places where he tries to say that one thing you can kind of see a pattern throughout a lot of New Sun is that good things are often associated with cats, or at least things that are on Severian's side, and things that are fighting against him are often um, siding with bears. Which is interesting Hmm. to me, because the closest thing that we get, I mean, obviously, if Driscoll is a dog, he's not a cat. um, But he's also described as like a bear, which is a little bit different so and one other thing he mentions is that there are often times where you'll find that bears are associated with winter imagery and cats are associated with summer imagery and so mm. that would leads again to kind of the idea you know most things in new sun happen during winter when things are cold that's where the bear is kind of against him um and then cats are good so that's i don't want to go into much more detail about that right now but i did want to point out that that um that there people have made a ton of out, of, out <laughs> of those animals and what they represent. And since this is a place where, like I said, you get the <clears throat> excuse me, the the bear tower folk, you know, taking a lioness or a bear in marriage, that connection there mm-hmm. is made. And then we also get, you know, Triscale being connected to a bear, or at least compared slightly to a bear.
1: He doesn't see Triscale's tracks. He didn't come this way. The walls of this court are high and above there are high narrow windows. He couldn't see out, but he could see the tops of the curtain wall through them. So he knows he's he's inside the citadel. He figures he's near the center. The lexicon Earthless places this at the location of the Great Keep. Yeah, I think it has to be out in the open. There's no way he's going back into the tunnels. He'll break a window and figure out how to crawl out of it if he has to. He goes to the nearest door and pounds on it. No answer. He pounds on it again and again and again. And then he says, there is really no describing the sensation of being watched. I have heard it called a prickling at the back of the neck and even a consciousness of eyes that seem to float in the darkness, but it is neither, at least not for me. It is something akin to a sourceless embarrassment coupled with the feeling that I must not turn around because to turn will be to appear a fool answering the uh, promptings of baseless intuition. Eventually, of course, one does.
0: Which is so funny, I think, because he's like, you know, you don't want to turn around because you know that nobody's there. (laughs) But somebody's there, right? You know, it's (laughs) like you have to
1: turn around. Yeah.
0: And what's funny, though, is that like the way he describes it, it's there absolutely is someone there. So it's sort of ironic that, you know, all of this weird sense that, you know, is just your mind playing with you actually turns out to be real. And and so that sort of sixth sense yeah. is a real thing. So one other thing, too, the, about it being out in the open in uh, the last chapter of Citadel, when uh, he is going back to look for Valeria uh he gets a flyer and he flies all over the citadel looking for it right um and so it's something that obviously you could see from the air he thinks um, but he can't find it that way and has to go retrace his steps to do to get back in here
1: he turns and he sees a young woman wrapped in furs at the door of the other side of the court they walk toward each other and meet near and meet near the middle she's wearing a hood a fur hood she has fur-trimmed boots. Her whole outfit is put together and expensive. It makes Severian feel embarrassed in his rags. She says they don't have his dog. He can search for it if he doesn't believe her. He says he just wants to get back without going down into the corridors again. She thinks he's brave to have gone there in the first place because she's seen that hole all her life and never had the nerve to enter it. She leads him out. Inside the door where she came from, it's a tapestried room. There's a fire. She takes off her coat while he warms his hands. She asks if it wasn't cold in the tunnels as well. He says that it it wasn't as cold as the outside, and there was no wind down there. She remarks that it's strange the tunnels should come up in the atrium of time. That's what she calls it. The name of, the name of that courtyard. He says. She looked younger than I, but there was an antique quality about her metal-trimmed dress and the shadow of her dark hair that made her seem older than Master Palemon, a dweller in forgotten yesteryears. He says it makes sense that the courtyard is called the Atrium of Time because of all the sundials. She says, no, the sundials were put there because it is called the Atrium of Time. The sundials have mottos like lux de vitae via monstrat which she translates as the beam of the new sun lights the way of life Uh, literally uh, uh, lux de means God's light Uh, another is uh, she translates as men wait long for happiness but uh, literally it means something darker for short happiness men wait a long time she starts to go through them all, but he says, uh, look, I only know the one language that we're speaking now. All of
0: those um, Latin inscriptions are actually on real sundials. Um, and there's a, a book. This is not my thing that's come up. People have had this on the Earth list forever, but it's called The Book of Sundials by um Oh shoot. I had my note. Where's my note for the author? Uh, Margaret Gaddy. Um, but they're all on real actual historical sundials. Um, now Wolf's does say that, that, you know, he uses Latin to, um, uh, show, you know, just an old language that Severian would see as old. Mm -hmm. Um, but in this case, he actually did, you know, we can break out of the, the sort of fiction of the book and these are actually real sundials. And like you said, the, the, um, uh, the translations that she gives are wrong um, or not wrong, but, the, but they definitely sort of the new sun instead of God's light definitely takes things in a slightly different way. Um, and that men wait long for happiness. That one um, is that the hours, something like the hour is short to the happy, but long to the, to the wretched or to the awful or something like that. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely different. Um, but uh, Oh, and then the last one, um, is aspit ut aspiciar um, or aspike ut aspiciar. Got to get my hard C's in there. Um, you know, look on me that I may be looked on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's, you know, the ones that he chose, nonetheless, are sort of thematically appropriate. That you got the the idea about God's light or the new sun, um, the idea about waiting long for happiness, or the idea that time seems different to different people. I mean, we're definitely going to get that. Right. Um, that's sort of, uh, in fact, the the real thing means a lot more to the book, I think, than her translation. Um, because you know, time being viewed from different perspectives is definitely something.
1: Do you suppose the reader is expected to attempt to translate these?
0: You know, I think you certainly could. For the, I for mean, the, Latin for, for the is... real
1: meaning, for the for the for the, she, the meaning she gives is the plausible answer, whereas the meaning you're expected to dig for is the real insight.
0: Yeah, um, I kind of feel like, you know, if it's a Latin phrase like this, it's definitely something you could look up. I mean, especially, I mean, he wasn't, of course, writing in the time of Google, but I mean, you could easily now just, you know, drop these in there and do right. it. Um, but I still think, you know, if if you're gonna take the time to look up a lot of the vocabulary that he's gotten here, you know, you could, you probably may take some time to puzzle some, some things out mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, but, but I just think that it's, it's interesting that they are real um, and that he, Wolf, was reading about sundials <laughs> for some reason
1: or another. She apparently doesn't get to talk to people much. So she takes this, it takes advantage of this chance uh, to talk his ear off for about three hours. She says her ancestors, to be rare, she says family, but I think she means ancestors, had occupied these towers They had waited there to leave Earth with their ruler. Severian records Octark, but that might give the wrong sense. But they didn't go for some reason. Maybe the ruler died. Maybe something else happened. So they waited because they had nothing else to do. Many of the governors of the Citadel had been from her family, but the last had died generations ago. Then she says something that I think is intriguing. He says... Valeria had never gone above the lower floors. We can come back to that. For someone whose family has such a long history in the Citadel, she doesn't seem to understand much about it. Severian remarks that, you know, that's the way it is with towers. Some are built more strongly than others. The witch's keep is decayed inside, too. She says that she's amazed there's really a place like that. Her nanny had told her about it but she thought she was just making it up to scare her she says that she also heard of the tower of torment where all who enter die in agony so Varian assures her that story at least is just a fable
0: <laughs> and he's not lying no you know, he's, you know, he's they don't all die in torment they just about all die but they may not be in torment when they die
1: and some are released what really interests her are the great days of, quote, these towers. No one of my blood carries a sword now against the enemies of the Commonwealth or stands hostage for us at the Well of Orchids. So Varian says maybe one of her sisters will be called to the House Absolute to be a hostage. And she says, I am all the sisters we breed and all the sons. She says she's the last of her line.
0: So I guess the one big theory we should talk about is whether or not tunnels underneath are actually a time travel device. And I say that because there are a ton, a ton of people who connect these tunnels that that Severian walks through at the beginning very much to the same kind of time traveling device that he has to with the corridors of time basically later Mm -hmm. on that it's a place that seems like he comes out someplace that late. He says he doesn't recognize where he is Mm -hmm. in the Citadel later in the book, when he's flying around, he can't see, uh, he can't see this place, even though he's looking for it. And so it of course makes people think, okay, well maybe this place is in a, in a different area of the Citadel, but it's actually in another time of the Citadel. That idea has a lot of fans (laughs) (laughs) in, in, lot of the reading out there i mean even um even in lexicon earthus he just describes the atrium of time as let me find it
1: i think he does just refer to it as a time traveling house
0: um yeah he said his first definition is it's a time traveling structure like the last house located in the heart of the citadel and so that's you know i have to admit i've always been pretty skeptical of that idea (laughs) not because i don't think it's absolutely true but just because it not much happens with it. I mean, we get this image here and he goes back to Valeria at the very end of the book beyond that though, apart from the fact that master Ash's house is also like this where, I mean, you mentioned that Valeria lives just in the lower levels and uh, master Ash talks about how, if you go in different floors of his tower that you're going to come out in different times, people Mm -hmm. find those analogies that's a really strong analogy. My problem with that is, though, I could never figure out what else it would mean for the story. Uh-huh. What else is going on? Now, there are ideas. There are plenty of ideas out there. But that's the first thing, I think, that when you're doing a rereading and when you're aware of what all has gone on in the speculation side of things, this is a place where you got to really start looking at those details. Yeah. Well, I think um, it's to figure Clute out what
1: who doing. mentioned that... When he returns to the HMO Time, he goes back to the tunnels and follows his own footprints to that location, mm-hmm. Just which is something similar that happens at uh, Master Ash's house. The, that I find that really uh, a, a very provoking uh, parallel. So let me ask you, you're bothered by the fact that nothing is done with the fact that this is a time traveling structure. What is done with the fact that Master Ash's tower is a time traveling structure? I
0: think because there, when it's a time travel, you see a possibility of the future, right? Mm -hmm. Like you you're you're shown different possibilities or Severian is shown different possibilities of what could happen based on different choices or based on different paths that that things take with this one. Uh, I mean, why was it there? It never really plays a role in the plot. I mean, at least there with Master Ash, there's a sense of it It provides some further motivation for Severian to sort of reflect on, on what he wants to do. Here, though, I'm, I'm not sure. It's like it almost is one of those points where, and this is really where a lot of people take it, where if it is an actual time-traveling device, what it's doing is leading us down a really complicated speculative... Yes. Storyline. Right. And that's what people do. Right. I mean, I think probably the most famous or or at least of, of all of those ideas that seem most compelling to me is the idea that actually possibly Catherine, the the woman who um, performs the ritual every year and who might well um, be um, Severian's mother, that she could be coming from this place or she could her or or if to add on another layer of speculation that clones of her could be coming from here every year. Um, And that, that helps us find out more about um, Severian's lineage and his, um, and his family tree. And that we're supposed to really, to get put things together to show that, that other characters are sort of living in this other time. Now that may um, but that's when we're getting into one of those places where I feel like we're layering, you know, speculation on speculation on speculation.
1: I, I absolutely agree with that. But let me take one more. Let me take one more shot to try to convince you. That yes. This is a time traveling structure. She's dressed in antique clothing. Mm-hmm. And she speaks an antique language. Her locate the house in which she lives cannot be found from the air. Mm hmm. Isn't it the case that every little bit of that suggests that we're looking at a some sort of a temporal structure?
0: Yeah. Like like that part I totally get, especially when like otherwise I can't think of why apart to add some drama to the last chapter, like why would would Wolf show us, you know, Severian not being able to find it and having to literally retrace his steps. Yeah. Um and the one other time we know that there is a time traveling device, you know. He has to walk, you know, in the same way and walk a a certain path to get there. So, yeah, I definitely see that. I guess what I'm waiting for is more connections (laughs) (laughs) to to really put things together. I mean, not that I'm saying it's ridiculous. I'm just it's one of those places where, you know, it's one of those things that is a possibility given certain other um, analogies in the book. But I feel like I need to know more about how it connects to a whole bunch of different parts. Um, Like, for example, if Catherine or clones of Catherine do come from this, why is it important that they always come from this Mm -hmm. past time? Like, like, what is the story there? Why is that going on? That seems like a really complicated way to get a woman to come act (laughs) in your (laughs) feast day every year. Um,
1: There are easier ways to do that. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's another, another yeah. one that I mean where it's like, I, I kind of want to, what's the end game? Like, well, I don't, you know, like, where is this all leading?
1: I'm, I'm personally not quite so enamored with the theory that Catherine, I have, I have different theories about Catherine mm-hmm. <laughs> and. But I think the, here's the reason why the time tri- traveling house doesn't bother me quite so much I don't think that the important thing about this story is the atrium of time. I think that that is just um, the setting for the play. Mm -hmm. What is important, I think, here is Valeria. And the reason I believe that it is important to Valeria, and so now I'll tip my hand to my own unique theory about Valeria. I think that Valeria is Severian's sister. Curiositas Earthus. Severian doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be told that his name is a twin name. That the fact that he's named Severian suggests that he had a sister named Severa, which is typical, and. So that he was, he was a twin and a twin that he never met with a female fraternal twin. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Valeria is that twin. And there is, and the reason I believe that is based on one thing. I admit that it's based on one thing. She says, I am all the sisters we breed and all the sons. That is a near perfect quote drawn from Shakespeare's The Twelfth Night. It is said by the character Viola. Mm -hmm. She says, I am all the daughters of my father's house and all the brothers too. Now, Viola is a twin and her twin's name is Sebastian. And Viola and Sebastian are eventually, are separated but eventually reunited. Sebastian has been traveling around with a pirate just as Severian travels around with Jonas. And there's a whole lot of, of story in there. I would like for to be able to map the entire Twelfth Night to the story, just think how easy that would be. But I think <laughs> that this is enough evidence for me to say, oh, we're going to be looking for a sister, a twin sister. Well, we have someone who has tipped their hat to being referenced to a twin sister from literature. And that's, uh, that's Valeria. So what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, when you reminded me of that, which I had totally forgotten, and as I told you, I was embarrassed <laughs> about that. Well, thing I, honestly, I, I didn't day. I um, didn't
1: come up with it myself. Uh, I got it actually from Lexicon Earthus, which is I yes, a really meaningful insight.
0: Yeah, yeah. That part actually makes sense. Um, it gets weirder, though, because, of course, what Severian does in the last chapter of Citadel is then fly back to this place, or sorry, walk back to this place after trying to fly back. Um, in order to marry a sister, <laughs> um, which I mean, now we've, we're, we're going to have incest in different ways, um, already.
1: But does Severian ever know that this is his sister? Does he have to have known that Valeria was his sister or at least at the time when he marries her, does he have to have known?
0: So he may well not, um, you know, because all these, a lot of the, the possible family connections, like I'm not ever sure that beyond when in Dorcas that he, makes any other recognizes anyone else's in his family of all the other things that, that people have put together um, of of other people who might be
1: related. Well, you know, the last, when he does meet someone who is related to, what does he do? first thing, he sleeps with her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, which eventually he does here. So, yeah. And that would then be another gets back to my question of uh, that, that answers a lot of things that we do see twins all the way throughout this. And I know Robert Borski has a whole big thing about how, you know, characters have to have twins in this, you know, <laughs> if not familial twins, they have to have some kind of twin in this book that they are always twins. Um, and that would possibly solve Severian's lack. Again, for me, it gets back to that question of, okay, what does that serve for the story? And I'm not saying it, it won't, I'm not saying it can't, um, but, but I just don't know where it leads me.
1: Well, I'm, t- t- I'm drawing again from Twelfth Night. Viola takes on the guise of a man throughout uh, most of much of the play, and there's a whole comedy of errors romance going on. Uh, she takes on the name uh, Cesario, and so I would, I would be really great if there was a character Cesario that we could look for, but we don't. The only uh, the only character that comes up that's close to that is actually the man who she ends up marrying. Uh, Cassidius is the man that she marries, which is very similar in uh, spelling to Cesario. They both start the same way. She's in love with a uh, with a duke whose whose name is Orsino. So there's really only one character of significance uh, whose name starts with an O. And I think that to this, this one really stands out to me as potentially being Valeria uh, in disguise. So she does come back. And that is um, Odilla, one of the uh, Autarchs stewards at the house absolute. Hmm. Uh, the reason the, I don't have a lot of proof of this, <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. be watching for this in our read this time. But Odillo is a his name is refers to actually a, a god of learning. And Valeria, as uh, Lexicon Earthus points out, ha, does have a lot of references to the moon in opposition to Severian as the sun. The sun. Mm-hmm. And there is and Toth, the Egyptian god of learning is also a an aspect of the moon. So I have a theory <laughs> that, that this is not the last we see of Valeria in the Book of the New Sun. I think we're gonna see her again. The, you're right about the atrium of time, that the, the building still kind of has this long history of, of plot, This this long involved plot that's unspoken that so what you know where is she going why how did she get there well i mean she surely must have been given there by the by the witches why i don't know i can't say emphatically um i have some theories that i'll say for later but i think that she is related uh, to that that she is considered to be special and unique, just as Severian was treated as special by Palamon as well. I think that she has, um, the reason she was, she was brought there is because she's special.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Especially if, if you're right, um, that she is, you know, Odillo in disguise or, or Odillo is Valeria in disguise. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Yep. We also know that Odillo eventually will have, he has a whole, is part of a whole heritage mm-hmm. of,
1: of Odillos. In the same roles, right?
0: right. Of Odillos. That might also help with what, even just on the most surface reading, is weird, which is why does Severian decide to marry Valeria at the end? What would happen then is that maybe when we get back to those sections, we might find with Odillo, is there some other kind of other story going on mm-hmm. where they do have more of a relationship or we find out at least some potential in different ways. Cause otherwise I know that always has been something that surprises all kinds of people is like, why does he go back to marry this
1: woman? When does he go back to marry her? When does he find yeah, I mean,
0: her? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so I mean, and we find out to in earth of the new Sun. you know, that's where we know actually that he is going to marry her. Um, you know, in, in Citadel itself, he doesn't say, does he, does he, he just says he's going back to her. Right. right. I and mean, I don't think, I don't believe I'll have to, when we get there, I'll have to double check. But, um, but yeah, it's always been a strange thing of why her, um, in some ways it could be, you know, she's, she's the only woman that Severian doesn't really have some kind of, messed up relationship (laughs) you know in like that's maybe one reason i mean that's honestly that's the only thing i could ever come up with was that you know of all the people that he met especially women and interacted with she's the only one who he has kind of interacted with on a human level. I mean, without using in some way or without uh, feeling betrayed by or without sort of immediately having sexual feelings for her or something like she's the only one. I don't know if it, but it could also be because it was when he was young and more innocent and and, you know, when she didn't maybe she didn't have a lot of history with them and it was easy to Start fresh. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but but like, why would he go back for Valeria has always been a question. And that's also, I think, why, you know, why people want and, and really look at this area or this chapter for those more puzzles, because she just plays no role in the rest of the book. She shows up here and then, you know, we go back to her place at the end of the of Citadel. But otherwise, she plays no role in the, in the or at least no obvious role in the books. Um, so that could be one that could very well be another thing that might make sense with that is, and we didn't talk about this, but where she says that, you know, um, no one in her family has sent someone to stand hostage at the well of orchids. Um, Odillo going there could well be kind of a version of that. You know, um, we just, just to, to sort of recap what that is, like we find out that the way all the exultant families, you know kind of both swear their loyalty to, but also how the autark kind of controls them is that they all send, a, uh, basically a woman to be a concubine, mm-hmm. right? And that's what what Thecla is as well. Um, and that they're technically held hostage, in, in that if they don't do what the autark wants, then you know, something bad will happen to the concubine. Um, and uh, so it's sort of this weird ransom situation, which seems to be a so much a part of government that she almost mentions it here like it's a point of honor. Yeah,
1: your you're family, right, yeah. It, it shows that um, your family's loyal.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but the fact that, okay, this is, so we're, this is again where we're sort of stacking some speculations, <laughs> but if Valeria is, or Odillo is a Valeria in disguise, then that family does have someone um, at.
1: But not at this time. No,
0: right, right, Valeria not, no, that no, she's, no, but
1: the, the Valeria that will be Odillo is, Probably not this, not yet. She, this is right. in her future.
0: Right, right. But we're starting to piece things together. See, this is where I'm more open to things like that. Like if we can start to get a lot of pieces together that tell a complete other story, now I'm interested. So, <laughs> um, so that that helps quite a bit. So one other thing that is probably more in the last chapter of Citadel, but that comes up here, that could well be connected to the possible time travel thing um, but might also complicate it is the fact that Severian says that when he retraces his steps that he took through the tunnels down here, um, you could only see his footsteps. Yeah. There were no other footsteps, <laughs> down there. um, which again, makes you wonder what about all the coming and going now he says he got lost and it was twisted right. and whatnot. Um, but he even talks about how he could, he found a spot where Triskell's tracks went off in one direction and he took a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh at least now he had a light and he could see that but he never sees anyone else's so now certainly there may well be other paths you could take Mm -hmm. um but it does seem like if he wanted to suggest that someone else had you know traveled this way he could easily he he could have done something other than mention that you know they there were no other
1: yeah well yeah the way he says it it obviously makes you think, oh, well, wait a minute, maybe Triskel was all his imagination. He was never there at all.
0: Right, right,
1: right, right. A servant brought them tea and scones, so it's good that she's not alone there. Severian notes that the tea is really an expensive tea from the North. It's the kind that they give their clients, which is kind of... Interesting. Do you think? What do you think is the the meaning to that? There's. I can think of several re- meanings or a couple meanings. One is that there are items that are inexpensive at one t- at one point in time, and were very expensive earlier points in time or later in time. Mm. No. In which case, you know, this might be just fine tea at this point. The other is that she is essentially a client there she's not being lavishly maintained she's you know she has she's being given nice clothes but they're old clothes they're antique clothes yeah. and but she's not being given the, the best food at all
0: could be i mean he does make a big deal out of you know what food thecla gets mm-hmm. um and how simple it is so yeah that. That, there is something there. The one thing I I got out of this was when he says that she was brought mate that that's South American. Yes, you know, that's yeah, yeah. He nice. mentions that South elsewhere American.
1: too, and that's that's a big yeah. tell. I think for America.
0: yeah, which honestly I had never had before. I had the, I read this book, and when I found out that that was a real thing, that was one of the first things I, I remember I did was go find some mate and actually try it. And I
1: just kind of like it. Oh, you so didn't, didn't regret? I was, was wondered whether you were going to say I, and I immediately regretted it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it's it's bitter. It's I always think of it as it like a super bitter, not sweet chocolate or chicory mm. or something like that's kind of the way I always felt like it. So I'm um, like, if, like if coffee could
1: be a tea. Mm. Uh, no, that's not too bad. So Valeria puts a happy face on Severian's troubles. She says, and I think this is means something. She says, you see, you have found some comfort here. You are worried about your poor dog because he is lame. But he too may have found hospitality. You love him, so another may love him. But Severian thought to himself that he would never have another dog, and he never did. Wolf doesn't treat (laughs) us to Valerian showing Severian the door and wishing him adieu. The whole scene is weird. Severian says he didn't see Triscale for almost a week. And then Severian is delivering a message, and he came bounding up to him like he had good sense. He's... Learned to run on one front leg, Severian saw him every two weeks or so during the winter, and then that was it. I never know knew whom he had found, who was feeding him and caring for him, but I like to think it was someone who took him away with with him to in the spring, perhaps north to the cities of tents and campaigns among the mountains, in other words. The equivalent of a big farm for fighting dogs, right? Or
0: I've always wondered, like, to the cities of tents and campaigns in the mountains, like, oh, maybe he got lucky and he actually got taken to war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, That's which, what I'm
1: saying. That's, oh, yeah, where else could a fighting you know, dog be really happy? And
0: right, yeah, which is sort of, you know, crazy, because maybe he's saying, you know, I brought him back to health so well that he could go fight mm. again. Um, and also, again, sort of reemphasizes, I think, how terrifying this dog is supposed to be. You know, I mean, I think it was it's sort of that's the part yeah. to me that sort of clinches it, that he's a he was being trained to be a fighter. And, you know, I'm guessing that in his training, he just got beaten up <sighs> so bad that he died. And um, and but but here he has a, a second
1: chance. But who was um, watching him all this time? Yeah, I don't know. Yep, I, I don't know. think, I... based on what Valeria says, I think it was her. And if you assume that it's a time traveling place, that she knew what had happened to Triscal and was telling him without that that he's okay. <laughs> I've taken care mm-hmm. of him, and whatever happened to him, uh, she already knew what had happened to him. But at some point, you know, in the summer, maybe she made a point based on that conversation to ensure that he saw him every once in a while, that he made a return. He made a return trip to that time.
0: Hmm. Could be, could be. The one other thing that's interesting here is what Severian doesn't tell us, which is how he got home. (laughs) And that's, you know, and that's one thing that, yeah. Did he have to climb back in that little tiny hole and go back through the, the no, he
1: couldn't have right because he follows his follows footprints back to the nature of time. I, if we assume those are his steps,
0: right, and so that's that's another question here, I guess. Like if if the the other the one thing we know is a time traveling machine works, you have to walk a certain way to get back. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't he have had to walk back
1: and retrace his steps to get home? Well, not if. Let's let's assume it's that it's like the last house. Let's assume it's okay. like this tower that on one floor it's your current time. It's a, it, on the bottom floor it's your current time, and then you go up and you come to other times. And she says she's only been on the floor. And let's but let's assume that it can travel, that it has that it do, it's not set in one place. That the tunnels are available. And as complicated as it is, we don't really understand how any of that really works. He doesn't really describe that. But let's assume that she just maybe she just let him out the front door at the time he needed to needed to be. Yeah,
0: I mean, that would that would fit. That would that would work. Yeah. I just wonder then, like, wouldn't he have known then? I don't
1: know. He figured <laughs> it out. The, the time well, driving. we all know yeah. how stupid he is. So <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> the other thing that's weird is he had to get home somehow. And again, this guy with supposedly a perfect memory, right? If he walked home from where she was, wouldn't he have remembered how to get there? And then would he need to take the flyer to fly around over the city at the end of, much later to, to find out where, <laughs> where this place was, you know, that's, that's where I just get confused. Like I'm there and I don't know, again, this is another one of those points where I stop knowing yeah. what sort of a clue, well, and
1: you know, the what's is, intentional. there's no way of understanding the the breakdown of the physics to the last house. There's just no way. All we know is that he does have to follow steps, but there's no, there's no proof that he can walk away from a place and then return by following his steps backwards.
0: That's true. Yeah. No, it's just that's another thing that that to me has been a question about all the theories here. <laughs> um, but now I'm like, now that's just a question of even if he did walk home, how would he not know how to get back? Yeah. If he has such good memory, yeah. so um, which makes me think then, okay, was he? Did he have to climb down in back into the tunnels and use his memory <laughs> to just remember how to get back?
1: I don't. One know, thing we do know, know is that the only thing we know that Severian can remember uh, accurately is to say that he has perfect memory. <laughs> that is true,
0: that is true. All right, it is time now for Curiositas Earthus. So I've got one, do you have one for this one? I do,
1: go ahead and, and let's hear it, I'll, I'll, I'll look for mine. Curiositas
0: Earthus. Okay, the one that I have actually is sort of like a a corollary to some of the the ideas we've talked about. But the notion here comes from the Earth list that Valeria is not only from the past, but specifically from Typhon's time. And that... I won't go through all the reasoning for it, but the basic idea is that... Valeria was Typhon's mistress, um, is basically Kypris, I believe is the... If I, I'm going to have to double check all my names from, from long I always pronounce like it, Kypris, it was, but uh, Kypris, okay. Ky- could well be. It's a Y. So so I'll say Kypris for this. Um, but that Valeria is actually Kypris and that Typhon and Valeria are the two who made all the clones um, that were housed on the Whorl and that... Therefore, Silk is actually Valeria's son. And um, so in other words, that would be a nice little connection between new son and long sun. That's another one where I just there's so little about Valeria that I just can't figure out what that would mean for <laughs> well, the life of me. That if Valeria was Silk's mother and maybe if Valeria showed up in Return to the World. Um, you know, in short son, a long time later, I would, I would be more of it, but that's another one that I just liked because it, it reaches for a strange theory, not just no, with this book, but in the next.
1: The that well. is definitely so swinging was... for the fences. And the thing about it is I can think of a lot of, of arguments against it just right now sitting here, but <laughs> she sits in a time traveling device. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I, I fully, I think that if you put gene wolf to the task of figuring out how to fit how to worm all that into valerian's life i mean valeria's life uh he probably could do it
0: yeah yeah but that would mean this was even before silk had probably even been dreamed
1: of. yeah <laughs> so um well i've got one since we're talking about sisters um it's that this was uh This was on from the. This is from the Earthlist, and it's that Juturna. The reason she comes and saves Severian is that she is Severian's twin sister.
0: Ah, twin sister. Yes, Yes.
1: yeah. (laughs) And could be fraternal.
0: I mean, they do have size
1: different. Well, fraternal friends. There's. I mean, (laughs) once again, there's a lot of things um, that are problematic about that the other the other uh children of abia are, are very large the um he, they're called his his daughter wives and so but and but actually this uh theorizer uh said well okay well she could still be his sister but they're not she's his half-sister so her they have different fathers and her father is obvious, but they have the same mother. Hmm. Which actually which is he gets even more involved. But um, you know, once again.
0: Well, she does try to seduce him, of course, so that does lead, yeah. you know, well, incest we've he been must, talking he, about today. Well then obviously is she's a stuff.
1: relative then, so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool.
0: All right. Well, we went through a whole chapter, um, with the title of Triskel with the three and we never tried to make any Trinity connections. I <laughs> that was pretty good. So, cause I think that, you know, that would have been an obvious place to go for. And I have seen some people try to do that, 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 you know, something like, you know, this is a symbol of, of Severian's, uh, you know, mercy or Severian's love for something else. And so it's a very Christian moment. I suppose it could be, it could be, um, but yeah, this that that one would take me a little more work to figure <laughs> out how the lame dog and its three legs, where it's actually missing one, um, is connected to the Trinity. So because that would make it seem like the Trinity is missing something.
1: Yeah. In order. To be well, it is a it is a so. term that that was used to refer to the Trinity, and yet, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the, the problem is not with the name Driscoll. Associating with the Trinity, I think it's my biggest problem is Triskel himself <laughs> being, being the Trinity. Mm-hmm. As you pointed out, he's yeah. it's, it's, he's something that he, he's he's got three legs because he had something taken away, and
0: and that would also mean that the the Trinity is a war dog. Yes,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> a trained killer, a trained mauler.
1: Well, why not? <sighs> So, I know that we're going to have some comments about this one, and I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so if you have any ways to convince me that the tunnels actually are a time-traveling device, or that the Atrium of Time really is a time-traveling ship, let me know. Uh, Any clues that I have totally overlooked, I'd love to know. So if I can be convinced of that, I'd appreciate it. So leave us comments on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll comment there and talk about you on the podcast.
1: And be sure to leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform. And when you do, be sure to leave a comment. Next week, we're going to go to everyone's favorite library in Chapter 5.
0: And we'll get a little further, a little more information about um, the guild and get one step closer to... I think a lot of people's favorite minor character in Alton.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a good time. We're actually recording this on the uh, 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing.
0: And every time I see an image on TV, I keep thinking about, is
1: that the one he was thinking of? Is that the one he was
0: thinking of? <laughs> we can, we can talk about if there was one specific photo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Good. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Get back loneliness and let me by I'm
2: looking for a new love, you know why My love she left me, gone far away But the sun don't shine on the same dog every day And I new little sunshine, it's been a long, long time And the sun don't shine on the same dog every day I let like my share of rain, loneliness and pain but the sun don't shine on the same dog every day no the sun don't shine on the same dog every day the dog of the sun one will move every time
1: this is why you write everything down (laughs) yeah